0: Hello, and welcome to the Roll With Me podcast. I'm Kathleen, and for those who don't know me, I'm the founder of Tiny House, Tiny Footprint and the American representative of Van Life Diaries. Together, these two spaces share stories and create community for world travelers. In the past two years, i record 11 episodes on people living alternative lifestyles. In each episode, we learned about how people build out their rigs, what it was like for them to live in a van, and the differences between solo traveling and traveling with a partner. As I relaunch this podcast, I want to explore the individual behind the rig. We're going to dive into some tough conversations. These episodes will explore themes such as working remotely, maintaining relationships in small spaces, and the real tough moments that make us question this lifestyle. But we also talk about diversity and van life in the outdoors, public land politics, our social media influence, and the environmental impact and responsibility we have as travelers. Talk about these issues isn't always easy, but it will give you a look at people in a more real way beyond the Instagram photos and captions. I'm excited to take the podcast in this direction, and none of it would be possible without sponsorship and support. This episode is brought to you by Sunski. I really like their sunglasses, but what I really like about Sunski is that they give back to nonprofits I believe in. Keep an eye out for what they're up to in the coming months because they're up to some incredible things. Check out their good work at sunski.com. Let's get right into it. Today's episode is on Noelle Russell. You might recognize Noelle for her amazing photos on Instagram, but what you might not know about her is that she works full-time at a homeless youth shelter. On the weekends and days off, she and her husband, Johnny, jump in their van and go deep into nature to unplug with their two dogs. What I love about this couple is that they're really into their day jobs, but still make time to experience van life when they can. I spoke with Noelle about her journey through a few different vans, her experience growing up outdoors, and what others might be able to do to volunteer their time to help others. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. I wanted to start by talking a little bit about your background. There was something I read on one of your posts about your grandfather and the effect that he has had on your life, and I know your family has played a big role in where you are today, so I thought it'd be great if you could share a little bit about how that's affected you and and where you are.
1: Yeah. So I always like jokingly say that I think I grew up with like the OG camp, like van lifers or camp lifers, because (laughs) I feel like I did. I mean, camping and being outside and enjoying nature was such a big part of my upbringing and also of my mother's upbringing. So my mom um, is an immigrant from Mexico and her family. Um, she comes from a family of 12. and they had nothing when they came to the states, but what they did do a lot is they camped. And so um, it was really ingrained in me from a young age that being outside and accessing the outdoors and having fun doing you know something that is free and lovely was the way that we spent time together in community. And the way that we spent time together and enjoyed each other's presence. So um, starting from when I was a baby, I mean, my parents say that they took me on my first camping trip when I was like a month old. And they always took us out, even just on the weekends. They'd often pick us up from school. Um, And my grandpa really spearheaded this because he had this giant Winnebago, which probably isn't as giant as I remember it um, (laughs) anymore, but it was, and it was always like, There was always something wrong with it. And they would pack us in, like, I think 12 kids into this van, like, into this big camper. The overhead bed that goes over the, like, the attic that goes over the driving area, we would ride up there, like, eight side by side in, like, sardines. (laughs) And I always laugh because I think that's, like, totally illegal. And I also (laughs) think that we totally exceeded the weight maximum for that space and all these things. But it was, like that was like our best memories growing up. And the most exciting thing that we would ever do is when we would all go out together. And like, when I think about all the places that we went camping, it was so, so they were horrible. Like they were like (laughs) reservoirs in the middle of nowhere. Like I can name them off. In fact, I remember I romanticize them so much. I've told my husband stories after stories about like, Oh, we used to camp here and oh, we used to camp here. And then we'll go to them. And he's like, This place is the worst. And I'm like, it is. And I was telling my mom this week, I'm like, why do we all go camping? Why do we go to the worst places all the time? And she's like, because they were one, they were free, right? Most yeah. of them were BLM land. Two, they you know, we didn't have any problem with literally 40 human beings in, in a in an area. And two, you guys just had so much fun. Like all you wanted to do is sit in the water and sit in the dirt. Like that's all you wanted to do. So we just went where we could, right? And where was close by, we were like apparently big fans of reservoirs that are like (laughs) (laughs) horrible. (laughs) Like they're really horrible. They're like a hundred degrees in the summer and dirt everywhere, but they were the best. And so I think that the fun part about that, is, is that I learned that the door the outdoors one was always accessible it's for everybody and and two that it doesn't take a lot right I mean I, my favorite thing is helping friends and families like get outside just like helping them plan and break down barriers that are I think oftentimes self-imposed on like getting into the outdoors and, and really really letting people know and that like being outside is like you've done it when you're outside like you're there and you don't have to have all the gear and you don't have to be five hours from home and there doesn't need to be a snow-capped peak and you know, behind you, you're just outside. Your kids are sitting in the dirt, they're sitting in the water and life is good. So yeah, I really, I think that there's a lot of bits of that that really has led me to how I live my life today, even though to a lot of people, I think that the way my life is like, feels like either disjointed or like a little bit wacky. Um, but it all makes perfect sense to me because because community matters and being outside matters and underrepresented populations matter. And these are like all the things that I feel very privileged to be able to speak to because because a lot of people fought for me at a very young age and also exposed me to the things that that are, I think, worth valuing.
0: Do you feel like, Those kind of things have helped you almost make you a better person.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of like the things that come up when you're on a trip or on the trail, right, that are sometimes discouraging or or frustrating, or scary, um, were so much a part of my life, Uh, whether it's like literally breaking down and like 12 kids piling out of a Winnebago and just sitting on the side of the road, (laughs) and still remembering that was super fun too, right? Um, And then, and you know, things breaking and having to call audibles in the middle of trips because of weather or because of, I mean, my best, some of my favorite stories happened Growing up when our camper broke down, our trailer actually broke down in the middle of the desert in 150 degree weather and on our trip to El Paso to visit family. And I have all these stories because we like lived at this campground for a week. And I think like that was my favorite time ever. And I tell these stories to Johnny and he's like, it's like the most romantic thing that wasn't romantic at all, like <laughs> sitting in the pool for eight hours eating sandwiches and my mom letting us like not get out of the pool to eat the sandwich because it was just so dang hot. But like thinking, this is the life, right? I'm eating a sandwich in a pool. <laughs> like I don't have to get out. And like, like you know, the world is so big and wonderful. <laughs> and so I think now when things go wrong, which they often do, I think that Johnny's biggest hesitation to get into van life was like, things are it's just more things that could go wrong, right? Yeah. Totally. But you, but when you break down, you always inevitably meet some really amazing people that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? And when you need something or when you have to end up leaving one place to go park in another place, you end up parking next to or nearby either something that you would have never seen before or people that you would have never met otherwise. And so that part, I think, is something that I grew up valuing or or at least seeing the value in and so it definitely makes life more lovely I think even with all the surprises and unknowns at this point yeah I love
0: that as a kid did you have any thoughts of like what you would be doing or where would you where you would be and things like that
1: I did I feel like I've always been a like a dreamer and I've always envisioned myself doing a billion different things I feel like I've done a lot of different things I always tell my husband that I wish I lived to 300 so I could work, like, 25 more jobs. <laughs> and he's like, you're the only person who says that. <laughs> because I just, I want to do everything. So I think throughout my life, I had different visions of where I was. My mom jokingly says that, what I mean, she doesn't jokingly say, she does tell the story that when I was little, in kindergarten and then they had us draw our dream us in 20 years in our dream home and I drew a tent with a bunch of cats in it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I've Close. like I think, yeah I've achieved my like childhood goals already in some way but um yeah I the interesting thing is when I think back of all the things I wanted to do and who I wanted to be I never once imagined myself working in homeless services so I think that's interesting because I've always wanted to help I just never like saw myself I think doing what I'm doing now which is really exciting and and very cool and it that's probably why I want to live for 300 years because who knows what I would do like 200 years from now right like um I probably can't even imagine so so yeah I I don't I don't think I've ever pictured this specific scenario, but I think all I cared about when I was little was every scenario involved having animals around me. So mm-hmm. at least I've got which that. Is, been, which that's is been true now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, so let's, uh, that's a good transition to um, talking a little bit about your work because I think that most people, if they were to look at your Instagram and not read through your captions or not meet you in person, they might not know that you, you work at a homeless shelter. So talk a little bit about what your role is and I don't know if there's a typical day, but maybe tell us a little bit about what your job entails.
1: Yeah. So I try to like every other post, not every other post, but a hand, every handful of posts mention that like I work full time and I'm not where (laughs) I always am posting. I'm probably at my desk until very, very late. And that's my break for the day is to be able to like imagine myself someplace else and post and, and interact with lovely people. Um, I work in homeless services. I work for a homeless youth shelter um, in the Bay Area. And when I say shelter, it's organization. So we actually run three different shelter sites in the Bay Area two in Oakland and one in Berkeley and we care for young people ages 13 to 24 so we have a shelter for minors and then two shelters for uh, transitional age youth and my role is really um, rallying the community around us and finding ways for us to be supported and engaged and embraced and embedded in in our local community but also in California in general we are a California-wide agency. So we do have a shelter down in Los Angeles, too. And so um, really finding opportunities to connect people that either do already care or already are passionate about the cause or maybe have no clue at all. Not only just share about the work we're doing, but be able to find opportunities for our youth to be engaged, um, whether that's job opportunities or, you know, opportunities for them to experience something that they wouldn't have otherwise toured companies and um, go on day trips, right? And so it's a really broad uh, job and no day looks the same. But my favorite thing about it is that I'm always, I'm tasked with reaching out and drawing people in and sharing really the messaging behind our mission and um, getting people on board. And I think that that's what I'm passionate about. I tell people, I get to tell the truth 100% of the time all day long, which is so, so exciting to me because I've worked jobs, not in homeless services, um, but I've worked jobs in the past where you have to sell something and you have to not lie, but you definitely have to massage the truth, the re- you know, and, and paint a picture of something that's sometimes a little bit more grandiose than what actually is. And that's great. But in this position, I really get to just talk about the issues of the young people that we serve and issues in our local community and and then i think draw out from people what they already what they already i think can discover on their own is how you know what where they can connect and where they can meet a need and how what they love and what they enjoy doing can actually help people that deserve it and that need it so those conversations are conversations i would have had with people regardless hopefully and so the fact that i get to do this for work is pretty amazing.
0: So was there something that happened in your life that made you decide you wanted to go into a career like this?
1: Yeah, there was a handful of things, a few poignant things. I I worked in fashion for over a decade and I designed clothing and I loved it and I was good at it and I am still the organization that I, the last organization I worked prior to moving to homeless services is still um, one of our biggest supporters of the shelter, which is very cool, but they're also very important people to me. But during my time working in a not- for-profit, I started to see opportunities for especially retail or the fashion industry to meet significant needs in the community at large. And so I, I started to collaborate with a nonprofit um, that worked with foster with foster youth at the same time my husband and I were applying to be foster parents and so we were being educated on need and we were also and also in my role as a designer I was organizing our company and also our customers to really what we were we were adopting quote unquote adopting foster youth for Christmas to be able to give them the gifts that they Deserve. So we did this one season and it was a wild success. Our company was super connected and excited about it and more in love with each other as colleagues, but also with these young people. And so we did more the next year and we did more the next year. And in the meantime, my husband and I were getting more involved with the community of care that really helps young people that are in the system. And during that time we also had a really close friend who worked for a department of child family services and then worked for a nonprofit. who in a casual conversation you know over beers would say something that would like rock us to our core and we're like well thanks for that <laughs> like, um, because eventually what happened is we both quit our jobs so Jonathan was um, in a band for about eight years and they toured all over the world and it was very cool, and I <laughs> had a very great job too, And but our hearts were tugging at us, and so we each did what, we, we, what we'd what we naturally be predisposed to do, and I just like quit and was like, I'm going to start from the bottom again. And Johnny was like, I'm going to go to school. <laughs> and so we, he went to school um, and is now finishing his PhD and is a vice president at one shelter about 30 minutes north of Oakland. And then I um, kind of just... Uh, started from scratch again I'm working for a foster family agency and then for a shelter and then on a, and skid row at another shelter and then now I'm here so it's been awesome and such a great learning experience and also a real beautiful unveiling to me of like even how more deeply connected this can be because like I said the agency that I love the company that I love is like the most amazing supporter of our shelter and does really cool things like extravagant fashion shows where they like give away gifts to our youth and like have designer cupcakes and like take portraits (laughs) Uh and like I mean it's like all of the abundance that you imagine is for a certain percentage of human beings in the world and they just pour that out on our kids and and I I like cry every single time they do something because it's like all the things in the world that mattered or have mattered to me all coming together. And so it's been special to to be on this side and go to more companies and say, like, do you know you can fundamentally change the life of a young person by literally doing exactly what you do? Like, don't do anything differently. Just come do it with our young people. And so that's a, that's a real gift to be able to not only see that come to fruition, but also be able to kind of usher that in in other sectors
0: what is it like when you, when you step away from your full-time
1: jobs? Um, Yeah. For us, the reason why like we are very much weekend warriors, because given our roles, being geographically out of the area is a really good way of us disconnecting because if you're close, you can run in to do something or um, you can say yes to someone asking you to come speak somewhere or cover something. Right. And and we love doing that, but I think the way that we've been able to create actual barriers is create distance and say, you know, this weekend we're going out to the mountains where we don't have cell service and we're just going to like sit and hike or whatever. Backpacking is like the best because you're really like nobody can get you. So, you're, <laughs> so, but I think, yeah, just getting out of the way and hearing different sounds. I mean, when we're here, we're here being Oakland, we're right in the middle of the city and it's very noisy. and. It's fantastic too, but it's good to like instead of hear Bart and sirens, hear like birds or water. So, yeah, we I, I think just unplugging that way really helps. We also are very fluid in the way that we live our lives, so our jobs are not nine to five, they're at best nine to eight or eight to six or whatever, but and also weekends. Um, and also nights, and so we, I think, create space to be able to answer that phone call if you have service and you need to, um, or answer that email because you have service and you need to, and when you don't have service, you don't, but we don't see that as, like, work getting in the way of life. Our work is our life, and our life outside of work is very much what fuels our work, right? So, if there's an emergency and someone calls, or if there's somebody that needs an answer for something, and you want to answer it, like, answer it. It's so, I think when erasing that tension of and making sure that that it all feels still good and that we're all we're being true to to our calling makes it a little bit easier, and also it does not suck to like deal with a real issue at work over the phone while you're sitting in front of a lake and like <laughs> looking at twelve thousand foot peaks like that's fine. I'll take calls here any day like that's easy, so sometimes it's even better that way.
0: Tell us a little bit about your van uh, I know you're kind of going through like a transition right now with your van but tell us a little bit about the van that you've been traveling the most in
1: for about two years we're traveling in a converted 2006 short wheel-based sprinter um, that was built out by what is now a company called van craft um, we were their first customer before they were a company And we purchased the van that they had purchased and built out themselves. And they were kind of using it, I think, as their framework for what they now do, which is make very, very cool vans. Um, But they were wonderful people. And I think that's why we purchased the van is because we were like, we love these guys. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, just love them. Wonderful. And like the van's great too. And so we spent a lot of time in that van and it was great and cozy and functional, super pared down. We had owned a Um, Eurovan camper before that which had a lot of components that were built in which were very I mean it was a beautiful van um, and pop tops there's like nothing more aesthetically pleasing than pop tops you would know that Um, (laughs) but there were things functionally about it it was also very it it was hard to keep up we drive a lot I mean we like really drive <laughs> and so um we felt like we were serving that band well the sprinter those can drive forever and ever and so that was a that was a, this, a smart transition for us. And um, the build, again, was more pared down. Everything was on solar, very simple build. Um, and that's what we liked because we spend a lot of time, actually most of our time, off the grid. Um, we don't need to plug in anywhere. We do better having jugs of water in our trunk that we can just screw into a pump versus a water tank under the car that can be punctured when you go over rocks, out in, the high desert asked me how I know, so like <laughs> that that really really was a good fit for us and um, and so yeah so we're excited we're moving on from that vehicle to a different vehicle new to us not new in the world and and we're very excited about that too because this will be the first time we actually get to kind of dream up from scratch what our dream van would be which is even more pared down actually than what we had before which my dad's like wait what like why are you (laughs) like (laughs) digressing when it comes to because they have now they we went from like being in a coleman tent our whole life to like when i was like in high school they got a trailer and i thought that we were like living in the lap of luxury and then um they got a camper and now they're in this fifth wheel with lazy boy chairs (laughs) like it's like (laughs) bigger than the house like than the home we live in Monday through Friday and so they're like what's up with you guys with like and now no water pump that's electric just foot pump and they're like but why (laughs) because it's you know different needs but same same ideology well somewhat same ideology we definitely don't want to own lazy boys in our vehicle ever but but just different needs now so it'll be fun to to kind of figure out what's next for us
0: tell us a little bit about what this uh this new van's gonna look like. Um, I know you're working with Aaron from Runaway Van to to build it out. So, what do you
1: have envisioned? Yeah, so we have come up with a rough idea together, Aaron and I. And um, it, the goal is to be, I think, super functional and like a really solid build, but also super simple. So, um, we we Johnny and I have like a few non-negotiables, and um, in terms of like. Johnny definitely needs to stretch all the way out when he's sleeping. So that's like, he's like, that has to happen. I don't care if it's (laughs) the weirdest configuration in the world. I cannot sleep at a slant. I have to sleep straight. And so, and so with the, the new van, it's not new. I keep saying new. It's not new. Our new, the van that's new to us is, um, it's a high top, uh, Ford. Eve at 150, and so um, we're trying to get it just high enough that at least me at 5'3 can stand up inside, which will be very cool. Nobody else will be able to stand up inside, and so it'll help feed my Napoleon syndrome, where I'll be like, only I can stand in my van. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we're working on um, just a really—I mean, Aaron's carpentry work is like the best of the best. So I think just a beautiful build, a lot of plywood, very little wood paneling as much as we love wood paneling. It's beyond our price range, but we'll have a teeny bit of that. We'll do the kitchen. will be inside just like our old sprinter, thanks to the high top, but only I will be able to stand up. Like <laughs> so we'll do that inside and then um, big storage space in the back. A lot of shelves inside storage is w- our greatest need, I think. We just like to like, we like bringing like not just our backpacking gear or climbing gear, but we also like want to bring an inner tube. And, like, <laughs> you know, those other necessities you need on the road. Definitely. So, so we'll have some big storage space in the underneath the bed. Um I think we've been cherry picking details from some of our friends builds that they've done that that's the beauty of this, right? Is like you get to see everybody else's van when we went to um descend on ben last year my parents were like it's basically like your version of a car show i'm like 100 <laughs> like i walked around and looked at everything that i like i want that i don't want that i like that i've never seen that before so yeah for us a good place to sleep something pretty and solid that isn't going to break again um less reliance on you know electricity even with like sinks. Our, our friends, um, Lauren Shane had this, like I said, this water pump that you step on and it was very lovely and quiet and, um, easy to fix. So everything needs to be easy to fix and easy to clean because I, and it's a bane of my existence also being an outdoor person, but I am a like very, very anal person when it comes to cleanliness. Like so I'm like, you know, there's certain things that people like. Drawers are beautiful, but drawers are hard to clean behind, and I get all freaked out when I'm like laying in bed and I like, I bet you it's dirty under that drawer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, things that are easy to clean is a really important thing for us too. Um, so it'll it'll be it'll be basic and it'll be beautiful and it'll be exactly what we need and. Um, create a lot of space for us inside to be able to be comfortable while we're getting from one place to another.
0: Does this mean that you are selling your Sprinter or have
1: already sold it? We have sold it. Yeah, so we I think I keep selling vehicles to people that I that I wish I was friends with. Like I'm <laughs> like what, why did it take me selling you my car for me to meet you? But we we sold our Sprinter to actually somebody who lives 5 minutes from us. She's like you can use it any time, but you don't like, it's like pulling off a band-aid to sell a car that you very much love. So we're like, no, don't, I don't want to see her. Yeah. Like, I don't want to drive <laughs> down your road and accidentally see her and be like, no, but we sold it to a really, really wonderful, wonderful human being who um, is going to be living in it. And I really feel like that, that van deserved to kind of her next chapter to, to be what, um, this it's her new owner. Kate will be doing so. She'll be taking it to um, all these national parks and living in it. And she like did really cool stuff to it that I always dreamed of, like fix the AC <laughs> <laughs> and, and like put a heater inside, like really rad stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you just made, you just built my dream van out of my old van. <laughs> yeah, I just love the spirit behind the community. I think that that's what you you get right. Um, with the van community, it's pretty special. I mean, trail community is amazing. Like in the back country, so many beautiful things happen and good things happen on the trail. And to be able to see that really it's the same in the van community. Everyone is one. We've literally pumped gas next to people who also are traveling in a van and you, it's like you bypass all the steps to, kinship and it's just established in an instant and they are always the best people. I remember a guy at a gas station um, started to talk to me and invited us to go park on his land. and later we asked him, why did you just in- do you usually just invite strangers to come park on your land?" And he said, "No it's because you own a van. I've never met an a-hole that owns a van. And I thought <laughs> that's awesome, but it's probably true. I mean, we've done we've done like a potluck with five hundred people at Descend on Bend, and everyone was like lovely and waiting in line and like helping serve and like, hey, you should try this. Like, that doesn't happen outside of that community.
0: Do you have any favorite places or places you would suggest people go if they're looking for an experience outside of Oakland? Oh my gosh,
1: yes. I I mean, I'm surprised still in the Bay Area how few people have visited Yosemite. Yosemite is super busy all the time. I know it doesn't need more people there. But I feel like if you want to visit the most spectacular I've been to Yosemite. I asked my mom once to help me figure out how many times I've been to Yosemite. We used to go three or four times a year. Jonathan and I still go three or four times a year. I'm not going to give you the exact number because it will tell you how old I am. But it's like (laughs) a whole boatload a lot of times. And every single time, every single time, Kathleen, I get sweaty palms. Like, I'm not joking. I've never felt the way that I feel when I see Tunnel View or when I see El Cap from the valley floor, like, or when I we drive through Tuolumne. Although that's only accessible a couple a couple of months a year, it is the most amazing place in the entire world. So I think even just going for a day, don't stay in the valley. Everyone stays in the valley. Like, stay outside the valley. Patronize some of the awesome cities, little towns around there. But I think people visiting that space is worth it and, like, life-changing. Jonathan traveled around the world for years. In fact, he's, like, been some of the places I've only dreamed of, like, multiple times where he, like, knows the good coffee shop, like, Paris. Like, who knows the best coffee shop in Paris? Like, oh, you should go there. You should go there. That's Jonathan. So he and he would be, like, it's so wonderful when we were dating. I remember, and he had never been to Yosemite Valley. I said, do you think it's going to be as wonderful as Yosemite Valley? And he said, I mean, it's pretty spectacular, Noah. Like, literally everybody in the world wants to go to Paris, and they all love it. And I said, I know. I just don't know. You know, I've never been out of the country other than to visit family and the border towns of Mexico, the interesting fact. So I didn't know if it's, like, worth the flight or whatever. So he said, let me take you to Yosemite Valley and show you what sets the bar for me. And we drove through Tunnel View, and I pulled off, and I and I didn't look, I didn't stare at Tunnel View. I stared at Johnny, and I looked at his face, and he looked like I think how I feel all the time. You don't get to see your face, your own facial expression, right? When you see things you love, but I imagine that the way he was looking is the way that I look at the valley. And I said to him, "So do you think that I love Paris this much?" And he said. No, let's just keep <laughs> going here. And I said, okay. Um, but it's like it's it's just heaven on earth. I think some of our other favorite places are the Eastern Sierra. We, there's a lot of BLM land out there. Um, there's a lot of BLM land that is um, right now. I don't want to say under attack because that sounds very sharemongering-y, but definitely there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot at stake with some of the BLM land out in 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 the eastern sierra so i think that getting out there and spending time out there and loving that land and using your voice to advocate for that land is important it is probably the closest thing to home for us that's where we try to go all the time when snow isn't blanketing any of the mountain passes and we love the towns out there mammoth is the coolest place in the entire world best food best people best everything best lakes best trails like it's just the best so that we love getting out there and showing people around and encouraging people to be out there.
0: So I'm pretty sure that made everybody just want to jump in their van or car and go to Yosemite
1: immediately. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> not that it needs that. There's so <laughs> many people there. But you know, go in winter or fall. We went in November of this past year, second week of year, November. It was like in the 60s. At night, it was in the 30s. That's not cold. And it was empty. Like there was nobody there. And we just felt like we were like, you know, the king of the castle. I think going during the off season is really important. I encourage people to do that. It's prettier. It's less busy.
0: Maybe we could end with a little bit about traveling with, with two dogs, what it's like, and, you know, maybe some tips for other people that want to um, go to some cool places with their dogs.
1: Yeah. So the coolest part – well, there's so many cool parts about having dogs. Um, Something that I really appreciate about having dogs – Um, When you travel is that it encourages you to explore places that are accommodating to dogs, which usually, which are not national parks, right, but are very much... Um, national forests and BLM land. Um, It encourages you to seek out areas uh, where there's dispersed camping, where there's more room for them to roam and you're not infringing on neighbors who maybe have little kids that are scared or, um, you know, just aren't dog people. (laughs) Um, So it's been really fun for us to explore areas where um, we all are really living our best life when we're outdoors. And so that has been really, really exciting. We know we love Yosemite Valley. We will usually only be there, you know, for a day at most because the dogs really can't do much. But there's areas outside of every national park and all over California and all over the U.S. where, believe it or not, you can park for free and you can camp for 14 days for free. Um, and your dogs can walk around and stand in the creek and um you know, not have to be on a leash, uh, really legally don't have to be on a leash. And so that is a real. that's that's what we consider flourishing. And and so that's the areas that we seek out and the trails that we seek out are always dog friendly and the spaces that we visit are um, dog friendly. We also get to Find really cool restaurants, and oh, we we uh, we are really good at bundling up so we can eat outside at in any season. Because we, whenever we want to go, like at barbecue or something, because um, the dogs always come with us. So the challenge, yeah, the, the dogs are not often, if very rarely ever, in the van without us. They're always with us. I get a lot of people asking that question. We don't leave the dogs in the van. It, it, It gets warm even when it's cold, right? The sun does really interesting things to metal boxes, um, and it's just not a good idea. So we have them with us a lot, but we've found that it doesn't really hinder us from anything um, as long as we're thoughtful about the spaces and the places that we're visiting. So um, that's really fun. I wouldn't ever trade it for the world. We took one trip four years ago because we wanted to climb in Tuolumne, and we didn't bring the dogs and i think they uh, probably i would say like 90 a conservative estimate would be like 98% of the time <laughs> that we were on the trip we were lamenting the fact that the dogs weren't there and so that's when we realized it's just not gonna, it's not going to work that way so so we always have them with us there's no real reason for them to not come with us we backpack a lot we always backpack in areas where they're allowed and are mindful of the same best practices that we practice when we're outside that we practice those with our dogs. So picking up their waste and um, making sure that they also stay on trail. They're very good at that, but that they're not taunting wildlife or upsetting anybody else's time spent in the wild and that we're keeping, you know, cleaning up after them as well. So we just kind of do life with them the same way we would do it without them, except it's like 300 times better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I think the only like drawback is like packing on the trail, packing food for them because it's freaking heavy. One of them seventy five pounds, yeah. so like she eats a lot of food, and that's there is dehydrated food, but it's not. She needs like kibble too, so that's like we've gone out with her for a week. That's a lot of dog, and she doesn't. She's a greyhound mix, so it's not best for us to pack anything on her back. So we carry it, and then the baby dog. She wouldn't carry a damn thing if you asked her to. She does her. <laughs> she that's not her thing. We're actually not hundred percent sure she even likes being outside. We, we we haven't asked her that. We just take her everywhere, but we jokingly think like she. I think she might hate it. Like she just wants to like. Perhaps she's probably like a hotel dog, and she ended up in the wrong hands. So, um, but it is what it is.
0: Awesome. And what if somebody wants to support um,
1: the homeless community? What would you suggest they do? Oh, my goodness. Thank you for asking that. If you are anywhere in California, definitely reach out to us at Covenant House California. We will put you to work, um, to good work, really quickly. Uh, We need all the help we can get. More is more. And so we're always very grateful for people that want to be engaged with that. I think if you're outside of California, there's a lot of other great nonprofits in California, so I'm not going to be biased. If you have a specific thing that you want to help with, I'd I'd encourage you to uh, feel free to reach out to me and say, I want to help, you know, homeless pets or people in recovery. And I will definitely shout out some, some organizations I know that do good work. If you're outside of California, I think really the best thing is to um, reach out to organizations and and ask. I think we often come with our idea of what people need, which is such so well intentioned and really really beautiful. Um, I think the thing that we forget is that nonprofits they they already have their needs pretty lined out. They they see them staring in the face every day. I think asking what do you need has has always been. Believe it or not, when people ask me that, I like, get really emotional because it's, it's rare. So I think reaching out to an organization and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Do I have anything that you need? I think when we all are sharing resources, right, when we're making sure that, that we're offering whatever we're abundant in and that doesn't have to be money, right, that can be a craft or that can be a skill or even a hobby, there was there was one time a, a young man that came to us and said, I'm a golf pro. Um, all I do is golf. I golf every single day. I don't have any, a lot, of, he probably has, you know, obviously more money than our kids, but not a lot. Um, what, I don't know if there's anything I can do, but you said, do what you're good at and what you like. So tell me how I can do it. I said, oh my gosh, so easy, right? Can you take our kids golfing? And he said, really? Yeah. So he takes our youth to the golf course once a month just to drive balls. And and the first time we went out to the golf course, one of my youth sat next to me, and he didn't want to golf. I'm not going to cry when I tell the story. He didn't want to golf. He sat next to me, and we were sitting at the driving range, and he kicked his feet up, and he put his head back, and he said, Miss Nawal, I think this is what vacation probably feels like. And I got really emotional. And he didn't golf in entire time and he continued to go on these golf trips and he never golfed he just wanted to sit where it was green outside in the sun and and I think that that kid was breathed life into simply by this person seriously saying like I golf it's a pretty you know specialized sport it's probably not everyone's bag and and definitely people don't have access to the equipment for it but like what can I do so I think reaching out to a place and saying this is what I love or this is what I do just do what you do and, and and ask a place who can use it, you would be surprised I think often at how many places need what you're good at and what you love so I think just reach out, ask questions be curious and and let let organizations lead you into what they need, sometimes they just need you to input data <laughs> and it's like a godsend so I, I think ask more questions and and then and then hear what they come up with. And feel yeah. free to ask me.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. I think that will help a lot of people um, in terms of knowing what they can do. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you for listening to Noelle's story. You can follow Noelle on Instagram at Noelle underscore Russ. If you like this episode, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And follow along on Instagram at Tiny House Tiny Footprint or at Fan Life Diaries. Be on the lookout next month for our next episode. Until then, see you on the road.